when people sit way in the back and their seats up the front, I get offended. I, I think they don't want to be close, so I thought I'd just tell you that, you know. <laughs> just teasing, really. i got to stop all this teasing, you know. Lately, I've been on, on this kind of, I don't know what it is, but somebody asked Sister Grant what she's been feeding me. <laughs> It's not what I've been eating. <clears throat> because if that were true, I'd be real sober. <laughs> I'm sorry about that, honey. Wherever she is. <clears throat> praise God, praise God, praise God. Well, the Lord is great. Turn to Luke 16. This story in Luke 16, which, by the way, is not a parable, one of the most serious stories told in the whole Scripture, and I've preached from this, taught from it. This morning I just want to do some teaching, not anything deep, but uh, something extremely valuable. I contemplated what I should title this message. I like to put a title on it because, well, number one, you remember it. Number two, they need it to put on the tape. Sister Grant came and asked me what I preached on last Thursday night, and I could not remember. <clears throat> I think I told this. I there occasionally somebody that come up to me and and uh, they would ask me what I preached they had forgotten and I remember scolding one one sister I said you mean to tell me you cannot remember from Wednesday night or Thursday night to Sunday morning what I preached on would you believe the very next week she missed the midweek service and she came up to me on Sunday morning and asked me and to save my soul I couldn't think about what I preached she said well don't you ever scold me <laughs> are not remembering if you can spend all that time praying about it studying and then preaching and you can't remember <laughs> so I learned my lesson <clears throat> life is full of surprises <clears throat> Luke 16 Jesus gives this story verse 19 there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores. And desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover the dogs came and licked his sores. It came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man died also and was buried, and in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed. 
so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they come also into this place of torment. Abraham said unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto them, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Now that is a very, very startling and sober story. You may be seated. I want to title this, The Rich Man and Lazarus. I guess I could title it Heaven or Hell. Uh, I chose not to because sometimes we just kind of throw some of those terms around. Hell is a place that, as far as the world is concerned, they joke about it. You hear statements made about it all the time. I will. I would like to say this. I do not believe, according to Scripture, that there's such a place as limbo. And that's taught by uh, some churches. Uh, someone asked me if I had scripture on it, and I said, absolutely none. That's the reason why I can't teach anything otherwise. There are times in which the Bible is silent on certain issues, and the best thing to do is you be silent. So I can't say too much about limbo because there's no scriptures. In the holy writing of God that uh, states that there is a place called limbo. And you know what limbo means? It, it means a temporary place in which people go and their final fate is to be decided at a later date. Um, we use the term when we're in the midst of making a decision and we can't decide whether we want to do this or that, we say, well, I'm kind of in limbo. In other words, I will decide later. I don't know. Uh, the pros and the cons will be figured out and we'll go one way or the other. But as far as the Scripture is concerned, there is uh, no such place. Basically, the teaching of the Scripture is that if you live for God and you give your heart to God, then God will take you into His presence and there you will live eternally or forever. If, however, you make the wrong choice, then you will go into hell and there you will be forever. Life is that speck of time in which God allows you to determine or make the decision as to what you want to do uh, about your eternal life. If people fully understood life and what its purpose was, and I'm not for sure that the original purpose of life is what it is now, but because Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and did not eat of the tree of life that was in the midst of the garden, where God had prohibited them from doing so, then he pronounced death upon man, 
And that death that would come to man would come to man as a result of uh, his sin. Now, choices are so very, very important. They are just extremely important. I made mention of this last uh, Thursday evening. Well, we had just a great service last Sunday evening, too. Many of you end up leaving before uh, we do a lot of baptizing, and I certainly understand that, but last Sunday evening we baptized four people. Three people Sunday evening received the Holy Ghost, one in the prayer room prior to the service. I really thank the Lord for that. But uh, at any rate, uh, God having moved the way he moved, and me giving a lot of thought to, to my own personal life, I think because, uh, well, I, this November the 6th, Sister Grant and I will be married 35 years. And then this past May, I graduated from school 35 years ago. And we are having our class reunion next Saturday. Unfortunately, I will not be able to go because I am dedicating a church in Ellsworth. And, uh, Brother and Sister Anderson and the congregation there built a new auditorium. Just a lovely place. And I am scheduled to speak there and dedicate uh, that building. But... Uh, I have inquired about a lot of people I graduated with. You see a lot of these people, you see their pictures in your yearbook and most likely to succeed and so forth and so on and those receiving special honors. And it's amazing that later on in life you find out that these people just settled down and, and uh, never excelled. They never did anything. Uh or they, at least they haven't done anything. Many of them have gone through uh, multiple marriages, a divorce on every hand. Uh, one boy that I went to school with, played football with, very intelligent boy, graduated. He came here to Madison, to the University of Wisconsin. He did his, his uh, uh, studies here and went on and did his graduate work here and got his uh, doctorate here. Uh, he married his uh, childhood sweetheart. Uh, they lived together only a short period of time and uh, he came home and she had left a note and she had gone off with someone else. This girl was a very lovely girl. Uh, since then, she's been married several times, and he has also. And uh, the way it's turning out, it just looks like it's going to be a life of misery uh, for the both of them. But for the most part, if your choices are right, things will turn out right. If they're wrong, things don't generally go right. Now, I read to you a story about two men certainly two men in very contrasting situations, a rich man and a poor man. Basically, according to verse 22 and 23, the rich man, he just made wrong decisions. Some choices came his way, and he had to 
to make them. And he just made the wrong decision. Uh, as a result, he suffered eternally. And if my knowledge of the Scripture is correct, he is still suffering eternally. That's, see, that, that's the horrible thing. If you look in your Bible and you see when Jesus preached this, you'll find most Bibles have a date in it, especially if you have a center reference Bible, you'll see a date. Jesus preached this and told this story in 33 A.D. We now live in 1994. So we have many, many years that have passed. And if my understanding of the Scripture is correct, and I do not see how it can be interpreted otherwise, the man who made this fatal decision is still there. Now we need to get a grip on what life is all about because we can't drift from day to day, from service to service, and without an understanding that we are placed here to prepare ourselves for that life that takes place after death. Now, on the other hand, Lazarus, who we would consider to be very handicapped in life, in other words, he didn't have much. I don't know if he ever owned a home. I don't know if he ever had any mode of transportation he could call his own. Uh, I don't know that he was physically able to hold down a good job. He had uh, sores all over his body. He possibly could have been a leper. We don't know. But we do know that uh, he was just a very poor man. He was called in the Scripture a beggar. And usually people who held down that particular occupation, they were beggars for life because there was never a way in which they could get out of that, escape that. They got involved in kind of a syndrome. And, and, and you'll find that poverty today presents that to people. You know, if they could get a good education, but it takes money to get an education. You know, they could just pay off their bills, but it takes money to pay off their bills. After a while, you get this syndrome going in which you can't get people out of poverty. And the problem with that is if you gave them enough money, they usually stay in poverty simply because they develop this poverty mentality. In other words, you may complain about it, but that's all you've ever known. And unless you have a brain transplant somehow, uh, you just continue to, uh, to live in this. Now, uh, please understand that uh, I am not in any derogatory sense speaking against people who are less fortunate than others, uh, monetarily speaking. My whole point in this is that you don't have to have much money to go to heaven. In fact, you don't have to have any. You just simply don't have to be rich. It isn't necessary that you have much in this life. Did he have a comfortable bed to sleep in? Probably not. Roof over his head? Probably not. Any mode of transportation? Probably not. Did he have a table to eat his meals? Well, according to this story, he didn't have that. He just kind of ate with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. In other words, they were destined to be for the dogs, and that's where he got his daily nourishment. 
So you don't have to have much going for you in life to make the right decision about serving God. I know I, I meet a lot of people that are always looking for that special time in which it's just convenient for them to live for God. If I could get my marriage straightened out, if I could get my living situation straightened out, if I could get a little bit more money so I could dress nice. Listen, you don't have to dress nice to come to Calvary Gospel Church. I want to I wanna tell you that. Now we, I look around and I see a lot of nicely dressed people, but that's not a requirement. They do that because God has blessed them, and certainly they have a lot of thanksgiving in their heart. But on the other hand, uh, it, would be, it, it would just be tragic if someone who could not dress very nicely uh, were made to feel inferior when they came in the house of God. You know, the, the important thing to remember about uh, a church service is that this is indeed a refuge. It's a pavilion for people where they can come and feel God and worship God and magnify God without any fear that things won't go well or right. I think that's just so very important. Now, let's first talk about Lazarus. The word Lazarus means God is my help. I'm really amazed when I look in the Scripture and find out how many people... Now, I, I really don't know that this... May, maybe the Scripture just calls our attention to certain stories or certain individuals that fit into this category. There could have been a whole lot of people by the name of Lazarus that possibly did not receive help from God or understand that they needed help from God. But in this case... Not so. Lazarus, God is my help. And seemingly he understood that God was his help. Basically, he really never gave up. He had hope. Don't think he had a whole lot of hope in this life that things would be different. But obviously someone had preached the truth to him and he had responded to that. And he looked for a city, a home a better place than the place that he presently lived in. Now, recently in messages I've preached a lot about contentment and people who are always dissatisfied with things. Let me just throw this one little nugget out for you today. Please understand that if you expect a lot of comfort in life, and you expect everything in life to be your paradise, that that's where your discomfort's coming from. Because this life is not designed to give you that. It just isn't. But a man whose hope is the Lord, Jeremiah said, Blessed is the man whose hope the Lord is. If your hope is in God, and you understand that God is indeed your strength and your salvation, your Redeemer, your healer, your king. If you understand God's proper role in your life, then you know what's going to happen? You, for the most part, will be extremely content. This man, he never gave up, but I don't know that he was looking for much in this life. I don't even know that he was questing for anything. Maybe he considered that what he had in this life to be good enough to make it out of this world to get to heaven. 
I certainly don't advocate a lifestyle that uh, is predicated upon the philosophy, well, if I can just get out of this world to get to heaven. Because I think there are a whole lot of things that need to be done on this planet Earth, and certainly that task prepares us for eternal life. But this man, as far as God is concerned, he never gave up. He kept the faith. He kept the faith. So can you serve God if you don't have much? Well, it has been proven that you can. Because a long time before you ever walked in shoe leather, somebody else did. And they also prove, or they prove, that you can serve God without much of life's commodities. Now, this man, Lazarus, died in good standings with God. And really, it doesn't make any difference what you have in this life. If that final moment that you spend is spent in service to the Lord, and you are trusting in God, and you die in good standings with God, that's, that's really all that, that matters as far as, as your relationship with God goes. Now, the Bible tells us in Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. If we'd always remember that when we do have problems, if we'll always remember that when trouble comes our way, if we'll always remember that when we need help, that God is really the helper that we need. He is the helper that we need. Now, you could be rich or you could be poor. The whole point of the story is not what... Uh, uh, echelon of society that you presently live in or your educational uh, status is but the important thing is that, that, that you do live for God I think this story could be reversed I think the rich man could have had a lot of mercy and a lot of pity and he could have comforted Lazarus and Lazarus could have been bitter simply because of the role that uh, he played in life and it could have been reversed that Lazarus went to hell and the rich man went to heaven. I think if you read Acts 10, you find a man by the name of Cornelius. Cornelius was the first Gentile to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost after the birth of the church in Acts, the second chapter. And as far as I can see, Cornelius was a very wealthy man. And the Bible says that the Lord looked down upon him because his prayers and his almsgiving came up as a memorial before God. In other words, uh, Cornelius was a very wealthy man. He had a lot of money that he could help unfortunate people with, and guess what he did with it? He helped them. He understood that, that, that these were blessings that came from God, and he wanted to take and, and give to his neighbor uh, the very best that he possibly could, and he did that, and God recognized that and chose him to be the first Gentile in the New Testament to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So the story could be reversed. And I could spend as much time talking about the reversal of this because I have known a lot of people that have lived in poverty that were so embittered. And, and, and let me just put this out to you today. If there's one person on the sound of my voice that's embittered about anything by all means, find a place of forgiveness. Get that out of your system. 
because you'll make the wrong choice and you will harbor that and it will continue to, to bother you. Not too long ago, a preacher called me and he told me that he was going to, uh, to, to preach for someone and, and I, I told him, I said, I was just in the area and I preached a camp meeting. I never saw that preacher there or any of his people there. He said, well, he said, now back, way back, and he called about 25, 30 years ago, he said something happened to this man, happened to that congregation. And so as a result, they thought they, they were kind of did in by some of the churches in the area, took some of their people, and, and you know, there's a lot of things happen between churches, and, and so as a result, uh, uh, he just doesn't come around. Well, what was happening was the preacher who was telling me this was justifying the position that this church had taken relative to all the other churches and relative to their fellowship with their brethren. And he was also justifying what the preacher was doing. And so when he finished, I said, well, I guess, I guess you're right. You want to make sure if you ever get hurt that you never get over it. So uh, uh, the man that I told that to, he said, uh, I guess I don't understand. Oh, did you say what I thought you said? And I said, well, I'm not for sure what you thought I said, but I said this, that uh, I suppose you're right, because if you ever get hurt, you want to make sure that you never get over it. He said, well, well, Brother Grant, that's not even Scripture. I said, well, don't be trying to justify what they're doing. I mean, if it isn't right, it isn't right. It doesn't make any difference if it's your friend or mine or somebody else's. I mean, wrong is wrong. And you do yourself a real injustice because... While you're holding all these feelings and going through life and every time certain things are mentioned, your blood boils. Remember that the person you're holding feelings against, for the most part, just out there laughing and partying and having a good time and enjoying everything while you're brooding over it. So, consequently, who ends up hurt? You end up hurt. Lest there be any profane person or fornicator as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his own birthright. Now, you know what happened to Esau as a result of this? He held bitter feelings against his brother who, in a very conniving way, stole that birthright. He may have sold it, but actually it was stolen. And the Bible says, Lest there be any root of bitterness spring up within you and thereby defile many. You may say, Well, if I hold a grudge, it only hurts me. No, it doesn't. It hurts everybody you touch shoulders with, especially if you have children. And that's just put in them and put in them and put in them and put in them. You know, I don't know how many times that I have heard uh, saints testify and uh, in some prayer meetings and such, and, and, and this they have said, I thank the Lord that my children are living for God. And then they went on to say, there's one thing we always did, and I remember this at so many of our marriage uh, seminars. We have a marriage seminar here in the state each year. And over and over and over I hear these, these, these ministers or these people who are lecturing to us, and this is what they say. If you have any bad feelings about anyone, keep it to yourself. Don't tell your children. And you'd be surprised when your children make up their own mind. Sometimes they'll come home bragging about the person that you just can't hardly stand. <laughs> and then the true test comes 
because you want to set the record straight. But keep in mind, if they can, if they can see beyond all the faults that obviously this per person has, because that's why you feel that, that you're legitimate in holding the, the feelings, if they can see beyond all that, they're a much better person than you, so let them be that. Okay? All right. Meanwhile, back on the ranch. Let's get back to our story. <clears throat> we see that the reverse could have happened, but in this particular story, it just wasn't that way. Makes no difference concerning your status in life. You can live for God if you want to. I will say that I believe it would be a little bit harder for rich people than it would be for poor people. But nevertheless, you can live for God. Lazarus means God is my help. And whether your name means anything at all, it's totally irrelevant as long as you understand that God is indeed your helper. And where could I be without the help of the Lord? And, and, and you know, your, your health and everything is so fragile. I stood up here last Sunday night with a crutch and my knee went out, and of course, playing football in 1957, I cracked my ankle all up and had several screws put in it and such, and, and it, it, it's swelling up every day. It has for many, many years. And because it's on the opposite leg of the, where the knee went out, I stood up here, and, well, first I leaned on the crutch, and my arm went to sleep. And I told Brother Manley, take this, because my arm was asleep not having to turn the pages of the Bible. And then I stood on this leg, my right leg, where I have the bad ankle, and guess what happened? Then my leg went to sleep. So <laughs> uh, I, I was in a lot of misery, a lot of misery. And when I went home, I just I felt like my sister was in shock. Last Tuesday night when I had the parent staff meeting, I sat on a stool. But I'll tell you, when I got home, I thought, I just can't, I don't think I can make it. Well, see, this, this shows you how fragile life is. Now, I've been, I've been sitting around not feeling sorry for myself as much as just lay hands on my knee. God, I thank you for at least one good, strong knee and help this one to be strong. And you're my help. This morning, when I was getting ready, all of a sudden my knee... It momentarily, like it started to go out, and it popped real loud. God, I've got to stand behind this pulpit. I've got to talk to the people about something that's very important. You are my helper. You are my strength. may not be able to make it on my own, Lord, but if you'll stand with me, if you'll go with me, everything's going to be all right. So here we are, and I thank the Lord that he's my helper. Praise God. And you know, I believe that you're here, regardless of how healthy you may feel you are or are not. Every person here is here because God gave you the power to get here. Praise God. Now in verse 22, there is a scripture that's, I say scripture, there is a phrase that's used. It's called Abraham's bosom. This seemed to be a Jewish phrase taken from the Talmud. And for the most part, it means paradise or heaven. Now, we'll just go into to some scriptures, not a lot of scriptures, but... I'd like for you to turn to Luke 23, 43. Luke 23, verse 43. Uh, this has to do with, with the repentant thief 
Jesus was crucified between two thieves. Doesn't it seem strange that the Lord of heaven that was perfect, that never did anything wrong, was crucified? Every now and then I have somebody, uh, you know, going on this little pity party. I never did anything wrong, and I'm just getting crucified, you know. Well, remember that happened to Jesus. I mean, if you were perfect, it could happen. And there's none among us that are perfect. You know, every now and then you find that person that's looking for the perfect church. Someone just told me this past week, said, well, the problem with that person, they've looked all their life for the perfect church. At least you know what that person thinks about themselves or themselves. But I remember years ago telling this lady who was looking for the perfect church. I said, if you find it, please don't join it. She said, why? I said, you wouldn't want to spoil it, would you? <clears throat> but Jesus was crucified between two thieves. Now, that's not what he deserved, but that's what he got. That's the way life is. Would you believe the very people that took off their coats and put them in the path, and stripped the branches from the trees, and said, Hosanna, were the ones that one week later stood up and cried, Crucify him. Now that's a hard thing for me to understand, but that's how fickle some people can be, or people can be. And I mentioned the word some people, but look at his disciples. They walked in, they, they praised God, but they also forsook him. They denied him. They wouldn't come to his rescue. But God, who is full of mercy and not willing that any should perish, when he stood between those, or I said stood, when he hanged between those two thieves, one thief with great accusation, if thou be the Son of God, take us down off this cross. You can, you can, you can take us from this place. Of course, the other thief, uh, that's not what he said. This is what he said, if you look in verse 42, And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Now there's several things that come to my attention. One, I've talked about the word paradise. But notice Jesus said, this very day that you will be with me. So when a person dies, he doesn't just go to sleep someplace in a grave and he waits for the resurrection day. Jesus said, when we close our eyes in death and we seal our lips to never open them anymore, remember, you will still be with me. You're here with me now, but you'll be with me there also. But the word paradise is used. Now, in 2 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul talks about an individual. This probably is making reference to himself, but uh, Paul talks about an individual who was taken up to the, to the third heaven. And Paul says that, uh, this is in verse 2, that uh, whether... He was in the body or the spirit. He didn't really know. In other words, 
Paul was involved in some situations in which it was like he was dead when he was stoned and thrown outside the city of Lystra. Uh, you know, there's a question as whether God really raised him from the dead or, or maybe he was uh, so near dead that he was in a coma and it was here that he received the revelation. We don't know. And that Paul is saying concerning this man, uh, I don't really know. Verse 3, And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth. How that he was caught up into paradise. Now Paul talks in verse 2 about the third heaven. One caught up in the third heaven. So if you ask me where paradise is, it's wherever the third heaven is. If you ask me where the third heaven is, I will say there's probably none of your business. And you may say, why be so abrupt? Because God didn't tell us. Evidently, he tells us everything that's our business. But we don't have to worry about getting there. If we live right here, we'll get there. So we don't have to worry about it. So whether it's next door or a billion miles from here, God's the one that takes us there. And we don't have to worry about the trip. All we have to worry about is having the ticket in our hand. And the ticket is the new birth. If you got the ticket in your hand and you got your bags packed, you're ready to go, you don't have to worry about the trip. And I will say this, it's not going to take very long. If I understand the rapture correctly, and the rapture also deals with those who die in Christ Jesus, it's going to take place in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. But at any rate, he was caught up into, the, into paradise and he heard unspeakable words which... It is not lawful for man to utter. My, my, my. In other words, he probably heard some things that if, if you heard it, you would, you would it'd blow your mind. You'd say, ah, oh, science fiction or something like that. <laughs> I guess maybe that was a poor comparison, but, but you know how far out and bizarre some of these things can be. And if you heard it, you'd probably... Put it in the same category. But I have not seen, neither have ear heard. Let me tell you something. God has prepared a place for us. A great place, a beautiful place. So, here we find Paul talking about the third heaven. He talks about paradise as being the same place. Revelation 2, verse 7. And we will turn there, if you would turn and read with me. All right, to the church. At Ephesus, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Now, we could go on and talk about the tree of life, but the book of Revelation makes it very plain. That's in the holy city. So... When we talk about paradise or Abraham's bosom, we can just use the word heaven. I think that is, is correct to do that. Now, we also know when we look in the Scripture that the Bible speaks of heaven and the various levels of heaven. Paul talks about the third heaven. If you look in your, in your, in the, your Bible, and I will not uh, take the time to read all these Scriptures, but you may want to write them down. If you look at Hosea 2.18 and Daniel 7.13, it appears that the first heaven, which is spoken of, 
is the atmosphere which surrounds the earth. And you've heard uh, that term used before. And then, if you look in Genesis 1, verse 14 through 18, when it speaks of, uh, of heaven, it I think it's talking about the second heaven, which would be the stars, the moon, uh, the sun, the planets. But then, according to the scriptures we just read, starting with Luke 23, 43, and going through Revelation 2, 7, the third heaven is the paradise or the holy city, the place in which God dwells. Now, the location of it, and I, I mentioned this, we don't know. We simply don't know. Uh, east, west, north, or south, somebody asked me this one time. I said, well, I don't think it's east, west, north, or south. And they asked me why. I said, well, I know that when Jesus ascended up into heaven, he went up. And up is not described in this sense. I know on a map, when you go up, it's called north. But purely from a geographical standpoint, when you go up, it's neither east, west, north, or south. And he went up, and that's all I know. But I know one thing, I want to go there. And, and I want to go there if for no other reason than if I seek the alternative... <clears throat> things are not going to be so good. Now, let me just stop and say this. I really want to go to heaven to be in the presence of Jesus, but I'm not for sure that I originally gave my heart to God because I wanted to be in the presence of Jesus. You may say, uh, well, you see, I love him because he first loved me. The truth of the matter is most people come to God because they don't want to die lost. And because some preachers stood up behind the pulpit and preached about eternal life, and they understood that they would be eternally separated, not only from God, but from everybody, in a lake of fire, and they considered that it was forever and ever and ever, they made the logical decision not to go there. But because there's only two places you can go, either heaven or hell, that when they made that decision and they started toward heaven and God began to deal with them and draw them, they then took on a hunger for the things of God. They fell in love with God because God first loved them. Now, I know, you know, I'm of the old school, but let me just, let me just say something about the old school. You know, years ago, I mean, you never heard a preacher preach and he didn't talk about hell. I remember reading one story about one revivalist. I mean, he preached hell he, and he preached heaven. And one young whippersnapper, kind of a smart little guy, he thought, well, I'm going to go up and talk to the preacher after service. So he went up and he said, preacher... You made heaven so real, he said, I could, just, I could just hear the angels' wings flapping in the breeze. The preacher complimented him and said, he said, but I got one question to ask you. And the preacher said, what is it? He said, when I get to heaven, he said, how in the world am I going to get my shirt over my wings? The preacher looked at him and said, son, the way you've been acting in church, I think your question should be, how in the world am I going to get my hat over my horns? 
<laughs> now, I may be of the old school, but I just want to point something out to all of you young ones, that one of these days you're going to be telling your children and young guys your age, well, you know, I'm of the old school. <laughs> I've been hearing that since I was a kid. Now I'm saying it. I used to hear people say that preacher said, I'm of the old school. I thought, my, come on. You know, <clears throat> I mean, these are the 40s. These are the 50s, you know. <clears throat> now people tell me, these are the 90s. You're of the old school. But remember, one of these days, if the Lord tarries, you're going to say, now I may be of the old school, son. And he's going to say, yes, but these are the 20s, and we're talking about 2020. When Solomon penned those words, there is no new thing under the sun. Let me tell you something. <laughs> I've lived at least long enough to find out that in, in part, he, I know what he's talking about. <laughs> it's just that way. There is no new thing under the sun. Now, the Bible tells us in verse 22 that the beggar died. He was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died. And he was buried. Now, the Scripture tells us in the book of Hebrews 9.27, It is appointed unto man once to die, and after death, the judgment. Now, last Friday, I had to do something that I have never I, I don't have anything here to... I mean, what... And so I dictated questions over the phone that I had planned on asking Jack and, and, and Lori and, of course, the church. And as it turned out, Brother Yance did not preach. Brother Jim Booker preached. Brother Jim Booker was scheduled to preach there on a Saturday anyway, and Brother Yance couldn't come any day but Saturday. So uh, Brother Booker, you know, he's an understanding and kind man, and Jack wanted his dad to preach once. So uh, Brother Booker was asked. So he was, he was glad to, to preach. Now, there are many things that you can get out of in life, uh, some honorably and some not so honorably. Now, I think because of my situation, especially because, you know, I, you know, if my knee hadn't gone out, I wouldn't have had a leg to stand on. But, but, but the thing about it is, I had a, I don't know, please, I, I had a, I had a real good excuse. And everybody seemed to understand it, you know. But, but let me tell you something. There are situations in which people just don't show up. I remember driving all the way across the state to re meet a person that demanded that I meet them, and they never showed up. And to this day, I have not said a word about it, and they haven't mentioned it. I don't know what happened. I thought, well, I'll just wait. Maybe one of these days they'll realize we just... But they didn't show up. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> there is one thing for sure that one of these days, though, your name is going to be called. Because life has a history of not letting anyone escape. I say life has a history of not letting anyone escape. Both young and old, male and female, all meet death. The thing about the rich man was 
that when he died, because he had given little or no thought to eternity, the Bible says in hell, he lifted up his eyes. The word hell in the Greek is Hades, the unseen world. The unseen world. It's a place of torment. Basically, it's a place of departed human spirits that are unprepared to meet God. Verse 23, the Bible says it's a place of separation. In other words, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Lazarus afar off. Verse 26, the Bible also tells us that it is a place of isolation. There is a great gulf fixed between you and Lazarus. So, you know, it's... If you were stranded someplace out in the middle of the ocean and there's just no way that you could get out, that's what the Scripture is saying. It's it's comparing that. There's a great gulf. In other words, whatever that gulf consists of, whether it's it's just void or nothing, it's, it's there. And you have no means of escaping it. In verse 23 and 24, and I, I choose to read this, and in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. He cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Now, I have a feeling, I want to share this with you, without going into a lot of Scripture, I don't believe that it, is, that it is possible for man to die. Now, his body may die. But the reason why is because God is the giver of life. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. When God breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life, he became a living soul. In other words... He is a pinch off of God. As, as we would say concerning a son and a father, he's a chip off the old block. In this case, we are a part of God. Now, I did not say we were God. But I'm saying that an element of God fused itself with humanity, and the reason why that man will live forever and ever and ever is because that he, his Existence came from God, and God is omnipresent, period, always will be. And so as a result, he will live forever. Now, hell was not prepared for man. The Bible says it was prepared for the devil and his angels, according to the book of John. But the thing about it is, because man chooses to sin... and sin comes from the devil, then what happens? Because he makes that deliberate choice to do wrong, then when God calls him from this life, because he has made that choice, then there's no other choice that can be made but to allow the man to spend eternity with the one that he chose to follow. The Scripture tells us in the book of Revelation, verse 20, or chapter 20, pardon me, 
Revelation chapter 20, if you'll just turn there, we're going to read a few scriptures in this area. Revelation 20. Here's what happened to the devil, verse 10. And the devil that deceived them was cast in the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophets are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now you may say, well, that's talking about the devil. Well, let's uh, look at something else. In verse 14 of Revelation 20, And death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. And I wish I had time to explain the difference between hell and the lake of fire. Basically, it's like jail and prison. All right. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And then Revelation 21, verse 7 and 8. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Where, where will you be if you overcome all things? According to Revelation 2, 7, the church at Ephesus it is the paradise of God, which is heaven. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Why is it important that you bring your children in that, that stretch their imagination and later on start, start fabricating things and lie about it? Why is it important to tell those children not to lie? You may say, because our society should be based in, or predicated upon good morals and, and, and such. But, but he goes a step further than that. Because you are actually putting into that child, you're fusing into that child some values that would save that child from hell. Praise God. Now... Because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, according to Romans 3, and the soul that sinneth shall surely die, according to Genesis 1 and also Ezekiel 18, the only thing that can possibly be true concerning the human race, and that is for God to have people with Him in paradise or in heaven, is simply because that they have understood something about the law of God. So if you will turn with me to a very, very simple scripture, I want to read it to you in Luke 13, verse 3. In Luke 13, 3, Jesus used a word. He used the word perish. He also used the word perish in Luke 13, 5. Now listen to what he has to say. I tell you, nay, but except you repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Verse 5, I tell you, nay, but except you repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Now repentance, according to Scripture, is the forsaking of sin. Basically, it's asking God to forgive you. It's, it's turning around. It's like you're, you're headed down the freeway going this way. And all of a sudden, 
you see a sign that says Los Angeles, 2,000 miles, or whatever it is to Los L.A. You say, well, I thought I was going to New York. And you realize that when you get off the freeway, you just went the wrong direction. So you look for some kind of a ramp or, or something so you can go back the other way. Now that's what repentance is. You realize that all of a sudden you saw some signs in life that said this road leads to hell. And I, I can't go there. I don't want to go there. So what you're going to do is the first exit that you can find, in other words, the first opportunity, you want to turn around and go the other way. Do you know why the preachers stand behind pulpits and preach about the doctrine of separation, separation from the world? Well, one, it's found in the Scripture. But do you know why it's in the Scripture? You see, repentance actually means separation from sin. And one of the strongest doctrines taught in the Bible is the doctrine of separation. Because repentance is not something you do today, but it's something you do today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day until Jesus calls you home. Anybody gets tired of the doctrine of separation have automatically changed directions. Regardless of what you think separation is, you must believe in separation. All right, Jesus also says in John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. Now Jesus told Nicodemus that. But how do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? He had told this man, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again. John 3 Verse 3. So Jesus has made an exception to the original law of sin. As far as I can see, the scripture starts with repentance. It ends in the new birth. And the exception goes no further than that. That's all I can find in the scripture. But Jesus made an exception. This is why Peter, on the day of Pentecost, stood up and preached. Repent and be baptized every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For this promise is unto you and to your children. To all that are far off even as many as the Lord our God shall call. It's a beautiful sight to see these little children. These children that sung this song out here. Do you know many of these children are on the road to heaven? Because they have been baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. I've seen many of these children dance in the Spirit, weep and cry at the altar. I saw little Eric Seidel as they, they asked him to come out. And, you know, he's just a spitting image of his dad. I'll tell you. He stepped out there and squared his shoulders just like Brother Seidel does when he stands up here. He just kind of clenched his jaw like, well, I'm here, let's get it done, you know. This boy's been baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. Praise God. Praise God. But it's not just for children, but it's for adults. It's for everyone. Everyone. Praise God. And if you want to change freeways, if you want to change direction, 
There's no better time than now. Why? Because you know well, you don't know when your appointment with God is. You don't know. There have been very few people that walked through life that knew exactly when they were going to die. Even sometimes you'll go to the hospital and the doctor says, he'll be dead tonight. Two or three weeks later, you meet him walking on the streets. And then you meet people walking on the streets that you never believed would be in the hospital. And tomorrow, they're not only in the hospital, but they're, they're someplace in a funeral home. That's how life is. And we must take this seriously. I'd like for you to stand with me at this time, if you would. But you can repent of your sins. You can be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Where do I start? I think by a simple recognition. Lazarus, his name meant God is my help. I wonder, Brother Manley, if Lazarus didn't depend on God simply because he was named that. That every time his name was mentioned, he understood what that meant. God is my help. God is my help. Now, please understand, he could have ignored it, but it was forever before him. If somehow you would understand, if somehow it could forever be before you, God is my help. You see, the Holy Ghost helps you. Helps you in what? It even helps you to make this trip down to the front to, to give your heart to Him. For no man cometh to God except the Spirit draweth him. That's the kind of God that we serve. Not willing that any should perish. It's not God's will for you to be lost. So as our praise singers sing this morning, we want to give you an invitation to come and accept eternal life. Accept God into your heart. Step right out from where you are and come down to the front. Just stand on either side of the pulpit or directly in front of the pulpit. Down here in the front someplace, we have Christian workers that would be glad to step out with you and come and pray with you. Come on right now, would you? Come on. Just have thy hand with That's it. Just step right out now. Don't wait. Don't tarry. I need some people to come and pray with Matt. Yes. Come on. Join these who have come. Come on. That's it. Give your heart to Him this day. Sing it again, Brother Repka. The Lord is waiting upon you. With His outstretched arms, He loves you and cares for you. He does not want you to die lost. That's it. Come on right now.
these people. Now we need some more to come and pray with these. Savior, my Lord and my Savior. 